If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about life and how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of it. I'm Kathy Barrett, and life is something we shouldn't do alone, so I hope you'll spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain. One-fifth of the U.S. has been affected directly by Hurricane Sandy, and the estimate of financial losses range from 40 to $45 billion. The death toll is at, I believe, 110 people as of today. To begin the show, we have Justin Wiedis. He's an educator, an activist. He's a founding member of the New York City General Assembly, which is the group that is responsible for bringing us Occupy Wall Street. And Justin is here to tell us about the Occupy Sandy recovery efforts that's, that is going on right now. If you want to find out more about Justin, you can go to his website, and I'll spell it for you. It's J-U-S-T-I-N-W-E-D-E-S.com. Welcome, Justin, and thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I wanted to just speak so briefly about some of the recovery work that we're doing here in New York City and all across the East Coast. Um, a real people-powered effort to bring really needed relief and aid and also rebuilding efforts to the so many millions of people that have been affected. Well, let me ask you something, Justin, for a second. What, um, you know, how did Occupy Wall Street come to the idea that they wanted to do this first? Well, Occupy Sandy really grew organically out of the support networks and mutual aid networks that we built in Zuccotti Park. After the eviction last year, we moved into the communities and really began to uh, foster communities of support, build assemblies of uh, neighborhood community leaders and regular uh, regular folks. And when the hurricane came, we that that network just naturally activated because we saw that people in our community uh, were affected, were suffering. And we reached out just as any human would to, to support our friends and our families. And how many people do you have involved in this um, effort? And, and what areas are you covering uh, geographically? Yeah, it's really staggering how many people have come out and supported us, um, whether it be through an online uh, contribution or donation to our Amazon.com wedding registry or really on-the-ground boots volunteers helping to prepare food. We've estimated that in the last just two weeks, over 50,000 volunteers have joined us in one of our many hubs across the city to help participate in this effort. It's really incredible. That is really exciting. Yeah. Really everywhere. I mean, we, we have hubs set up in all of the affected areas from Far Rockaway to Coney Island to Red Hook, uh, the Lower East Side, and Staten Island, Sheepshead Bay, um, ev- everywhere that our community exists and people are, are in need, we are activating and mobilizing tens of thousands of volunteers to get out there and, and really support each other. I'm really excited to hear that. And what kinds of services, as an example, are you providing? Well, for example, we're training teams of canvassers to go door-to-door in communities that still don't have power or gas or water and assess the needs and and also medical needs as well, people who uh, need prescriptions, people who need um, pretty urgent medical aid. Also, there's an immense amount of reconstruction to be done, so we have construction crews of professional carpenters, electricians who are working with uh, regular volunteers to canvas the needs for that, 
and also providing, you know, direct aid, food, uh, warm clothing, shelter. We've set up a housing network across the city where people can uh, open up their homes to families that have been displaced or even to pets that have been displaced by the hurricane. This seems like such a massive effort. It's unbelievable that you guys have organized this on such short notice. No, it is, but I think that it's a testament to people's desire to support each other, to provide mutual aid. It's not charity. This isn't just coming into a neighborhood, dropping off some goods, and leaving. This is about building long-term, lasting relationships of mutual care and support so that we grow stronger and more resilient for the next disaster when it comes. Hopefully it doesn't come soon. Yes, hopefully it doesn't come soon. And from what you're seeing, because you're right there on the front lines, what is the largest obstacle that people are facing right now and what's being done or not being done about it? I think the largest obstacle are the tens of thousands of people that are still without power, without hot water, without gas. There are entire neighborhoods that still... Uh, they have not been reached by any kind of government assistance or any kind of NGO like the Red Cross or agency. And our people are in there day-to-day canvassing the needs, talking to people, trying to get them uh, needed items. And, and the support on all ends has been really incredible. We've, As I said, we set up an Amazon wedding registry where people can go and we've highlighted all of the different items that are in the highest need. So you can check that out. And and there's all the information that I'm giving you can be seen also on our website, OccupySandy.org, OccupySandy.org, where you can find out there's a million ways for people to plug in. Uh, And we just, we, we thank everybody so much for your ongoing support. Well, we thank you. I think you're doing an amazing, incredible job. And all of my love and appreciation goes out to the volunteers that you have assembled and the people that just took it upon themselves to go out there and really, you know, help those in need because this has really been a crippling um, situation for us here on the East Coast. And uh, it really breaks my heart to, you know, tune into the news sometimes and see a 76-year-old woman who has lived in her home for her entire life, you know, just have nothing and, and, and also witness that there's no one there really helping her in any way. So to know that you guys are out there on the ground doing what you're doing is, is um, really reassuring. And I appreciate all of the, the good spirits um, that you have for doing what you're doing. Now, I'm hearing, you know, just, I mean, are you communicating with FEMA or the Red Cross? I'm getting so many complaints that, they're not doing enough or people are not seeing them in their neighborhoods. Are you running across that as well as you make your own way to help victims? Unfortunately, we are. And this is not uh, any meant as any kind of insult to FEMA or the Red Cross. I think that they're doing the best that they can given uh, their limited uh, reach within these communities, their limited access to um, the really important uh, necessary networks uh, that are required to really get on the ground into into the most affected areas. But there's also a need for collaboration and partnership here. And mm-hmm. so we have been uh, liaising and forming limited partnerships with groups uh, like the Red Cross, the FEMA, the mayor's office, and with the, the ultimate goal of uh, being able to facilitate communication and to coordinate efforts more closely. This really... Really, I think at the end of the day, uh, we do share the same goal, which is we want to get aid to people as quickly as possible. And then also, I think a step further for Occupy Sandy is we want to really rebuild in a, in a robust, environmentally sustainable way. And uh, we hope that these agencies join us in that, in that uh, aspiration of building communities that uh, are stronger and more environmentally friendly so that we don't run into these same issues for generations to come. That sounds really, really exciting to me. And is someone uh, kind of, you know, videotaping, uh, you know, documenting what you guys are doing? Because I think it would be so helpful to people around the world to see what you're doing, the the way that you've organized and and the way that you're, you know, kind of um, working with these other agencies uh, to help the victims out there and to rebuild. I hope someone's documenting it because it's a documentary I would tune into. <laughs> in, in typical uh, Occupy fashion, there are many, many cameras present. So <laughs> okay, good. 
respecting respecting the privacy of people in this very difficult time. We are yeah. trying to document as much as possible yeah, uh, what's happening here to also put some pressure on the local elected officials and other agencies to get out here and really um, put the boots on the ground. These are stories that need to be told because people are suffering. Absolutely. Well, Justin, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come and, and share what's happening with us. We're very grateful to you, and you have an open invitation to come back to Behind the Curtain anytime to fill us in on what's happening uh, with uh, the Hurricane Sandy efforts as well as Occupy Wall Street. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Okay, so I, I really am so grateful. I think their organization is fantastic, and uh, what they're doing is just amazing. So um, let's just do whatever we can to help them uh, by sending donations. Again, you can uh, go to OccupySandy.com, and as uh, Justin um said you can they really give you a detailed list of things that they need or where you can send donations and let's try to do everything we can to uh, support them so behind the curtain is expanding to cover more and more global issues um, with programs that will inspire inform and enlighten you with our new friends around the world and it's so important for us to unite with people everywhere next week we will be discussing the crisis that's going on in greece we have Anthony Starno. He's an author and runs the Brahma Kamara Spiritual Center in Greece. And he's a writer for the Huffington Post. And Anthony will be here to share some important information. So really, please be sure to tune in. We need to start seeing the world's problems and issues as our own and vice versa. And it's really going to take all of us coming together to make this place a better place for all of us to live in. So now moving on to uh, today's show, which is Taking Back Power. Every two minutes, and I'm going to repeat this because it's really humbling to listen to, every two minutes, someone in the United States is sexually assaulted. 54% of those do not report it to the police. 44% of victims are under age 18, and 80% are under the age of 30. We have two very inspiring and courageous guests with us today. They have turned the atrocity of rape into an opportunity for empowerment. And by sharing their stories with others, they really help to raise the level of awareness about the dangers of sexual assault. And as they speak to audiences about their own experiences, they are changing lives around the country. We're going to be speaking to Kathy and Charles today, who are both speakers from the RAIN organization, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. That's RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, dot org, if you want to find out more information about them. And they are a fantastic, fantastic organization doing really groundbreaking work. If you are in need, if you are out there and struggling with whether or not to report uh, an assault or not, or you're just needing to connect with someone, please call the hotline number, which is 1-800-656-HOPE. That's H-O-P-E. Charles and Kathy were both victims of rape, and they're going to share their emotional roadmap with us today, really lay out the steps that they took to go from victim to empowerment. And let me just tell you about them. Uh, Charles is a retired 64-year-old father, grandfather. Uh, in his situation, he was drugged and sexually assaulted in 2008. He is now part of the RAIN National Speaker, uh, Speakers Bureau and fights diligently for victims' rights. Kathy is 23 years old. She is a UNC Law School student where she majors in criminal justice with her eye on being a criminal prosecutor in New York. So I hope all you New Yorkers are listening out there because uh, we would love to have her here uh, in the criminal justice department working. Catherine is a volunteer and a public speaker for RAIN as well. Um, as well as for Interact. So welcome, uh, Charlie and Kathy. So great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So uh, in, let me just start out by saying or asking, uh, uh, let's start with you, Charlie. What was your connection to your attacker? I had been dating her for about uh, six months prior to the attack. 
And how about you, Kathy? Uh, he was a coworker of mine. So it's really, really difficult, isn't it, in both of your cases? It, it must have been extremely hard to come forward about what happened. And we know from statistics that a great many people don't report assaults. So what was it that made you both come forward? Let's start with you, Kathy. Um, well, for me personally, I mean, it was it was extremely hard um, trying to come out. I know the first week I didn't want to do absolutely anything. Um, it took me, <clears throat> excuse me, it took me about like three days just to tell my parents what had happened, and I had gone by myself to the hospital to get the rape kit done and talk to a police officer and and basically argue with them that I didn't want to report anything. And when my parents finally found out, they basically dragged me to the to a nearby law firm and tried to get advice and, and see what to do because we both had the intention that we wanted to get him punished, but I never wanted it to get to the extent of going to jail and having to go through trial and just because I considered him a friend um, at the time. And finally, after hearing their point of views and hearing the lawyers and hearing the police officers and finally basically taking it in and getting advice from Rain, um, that's when I basically put two and two together. And I was like, well, you know, the way to to reclaim my voice was to to speak out and and seek justice. Wow. And let's go back for a second, um, Kathy, because this is so important. You said... It took three days before you went and told your parents, but you did go to the hospital right away. You did do that on your own. I did. I went I went the next day. Um, it happened on a Sunday, and usually Sunday at my house is, is family night, and we, we go about our nights, and we have dinner together, and we, we play board games or, or play video games with my little brother. So I didn't want them to um, know, basically, mm-hmm. And I just wanted to go about my regular Sunday. And then um, even though I was in a lot of physical pain, uh, just because of all the struggling that I had to go through earlier, um, I, I tried to play it off as much as possible. And finally the next day I, I just I couldn't take the pain anymore. And I had looked up information on rain and tried to see if it really was rape. And when I was finally told through the hotline that it was, they basically told me that I needed to go to the hospital and, and get a rape kit done, and I I just decided to go. And, I mean, it took a lot longer than expected. That day I had to lie to my parents even and lie about where I was and what I was doing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was just a hard struggle, but in the end it paid off because they were with me throughout the whole time. Well, I can I can't imagine I can't you know I I to walk in your shoes must have been very difficult at at that time and I'm so grateful that you're speaking out because there's so many young young men and young women out there that that will go through the same experience and and not know whether to report it. So it's so great that you researched it for yourself even though your initial feeling was no, I don't want to do this. You still took the proper steps and and took care of yourself and went to the hospital and investigated, you know, the options that were available to you. And um but it there is also something that you said that that kind of stands out to me. You felt that he was a friend. And again, this is something in the statistics that I find very, you know, fearful. <laughs> is that um, a large percentage of people who, you know, become the attackers are people that we know. And so what kind of guidance, what do you know now that maybe you didn't know then or you didn't trust your instincts then? What would you share to those young men and women out there that may have been in a in a situation where they are with somebody that they know, but maybe they started to feel a little uncomfortable about it and didn't quite know which way to go, whether to to flee or to remain, you know, when we start questioning our own instincts. Is there anything that you have to share with them now that, you know, maybe just didn't dawn on you at the time? Um, well, basically, when I say he was a friend, I mean, I... I was 20 at the time, and I was just a very friendly person. I mean, I still am, but I'm a lot guarded now. And um, but back then, I was—I just cared for everybody, and 
that's how I was raised, you know, to love everybody because everybody is basically like a brother and sister to you. Um, and when I was at work, I mean, I wanted everybody to love me, of, of course. Um, if you gave me a nice smile and you treated me nice the first couple minutes, I was your instant friend. I'd do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it basically carried on even after the rape happened. I mean, I was still... I I didn't want to forgive him because I knew that he had hurt me after I could say no. Um, But I still, it's just still played in the back of my mind, no, he's a friend, no, he's a friend. Like, that's why I can't press charges. I can't do anything because he's a friend. And after just being harassed by everybody uh, from work, telling me that, you know, he was under the influence, so I had to to just let it go and pretend like it never happened. It, it finally started dawning on me that I, I shouldn't trust people as much as I thought I should and not be so lenient and not be so, uh, I don't want to say naive, but in a way, yeah, just have an innocent, naive type of mind. And you got you got to start kind of being a little bit cold and, and not trust everybody so easily because you never know what their motives are in the end. And as much as it's kind of like a negative advice to give is the reality is that's how, that's how you have to be. You well, have to be something cold. And... Yes, I hear what you're saying. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate because when you speak about uh, the place that you were, it's quite beautiful, you know, to be open and, and be that caring and be that loving to, you know, everyone that you meet. It really is such a wonderful and beautiful thing uh, in terms of personality trait. But at the same time, we live in dangerous times right now. And we, and as you, you know, so uh, rightly say, we have to protect ourselves and we have to be aware and we have to kind of um, not give out that trust so freely these days. And really, the most important thing, I'm just going to stop for a second before we go to Charlie, is that um, some of the avoiding dangerous situations, uh, just to to give these pointers to the listener, be aware of your surroundings, you know, knowing where you are and um, and just so that that's kind of in your mind when you're in a situation that you may not, you know, you're in a, a strange situation, you may not be that familiar with where you are. I know it happens to me a lot of times when I'm driving around at night by myself or I take very long walks in the country for miles and miles and I'm by myself, but I'm always, I always am aware of my surroundings and I always have one eye looking out to make sure that I'm safe. And so that's what they mean by be aware of your surroundings and be present. Try to avoid isolated areas. Walk with purpose if you're in an area, if you're really not sure of and trust your instincts. You know, it's happened to me. I'm sure it happens to all of us. We'll get this feeling this in the pit of our stomach that says, "Uh, I don't know, I'm not feeling good about this. And whether that feeling turns out to be uh, right or wrong, you should go with it. You should never second guess it. You should just, if you're feeling that way, walk away from whatever that situation is. And, um, you know, this happens a lot of times because in, in parking lots, and jump in, guys, if I'm saying anything or you want to add anything to this. Uh, if you're in parking lots and you have a lot of packages, you know, a lot of times there are people lurking there just waiting to find people in vulnerable physical situations like this where you're fumbling for your key. Make sure your cell phone is always charged and that, you know, you have money on you, especially the young uh, kids out there. And um, don't trust someone you don't know. And be leery of people you do know. And avoid putting headphones in both ears so that, you know, you can be more aware of your your surroundings. And then, you know, if you are uh, the victim of sexual assault, get on the phone and report it. And so, okay, Charlie, uh, let's go to you. Let's talk about your situation. Well, like I said, I was dating this woman about four or five months, and... Shot of being killed or the threat of being killed if I said anything, which is unfortunately most female victims are, I was subjected to the same fears, anger, embarrassment, humiliation, the sleepless nights, eating disorders, uh, like Kathy waking up every day, didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to stay in bed and hope it was all a bad dream. 
And these are all symptoms that most female victims endure and which I can now relate and sympathize with me. And if this never happened to me, I wouldn't be talking with you here today. Eventually, it took me a little longer, about two to three weeks before I said to myself, I have to get out of this. I was in a rut and I have to do something. And I eventually sought out counseling and I was diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, during my counseling, I realized different signs that I should have noticed, but I didn't. And it wasn't all until afterwards uh, that I saw these signs and I should have prepared myself for taking a step back as far as where it was going. Eventually in time, I did forgive my predator by understanding more about her and her past. And I'm not regretful about that. And actually, it took me four years before I even talked to my family about this um, because of the embarrassment and the degradation and everything else. But in the four years, seeking counseling, working with Rain, working my, with my support group in my local area, giving talks, talking to other victims, and hopefully I've been making a difference in their life. And these are all signs of doing good deeds, which I'm sure other victims have done. But more importantly, the positive steps in our, our way of fighting back in this healing process that we go through. Well, it's interesting, Charlie. Uh, you know, I just wanted to also share with the listeners that in your case, you were drugged. And and that seems to be something that's really, in terms of also uh, statistics, there's a, a great rise on that and something that people should really be aware of, that, you know, people are being drugged. It's, you know, it comes in uh, uh, liquid form. And it's odor, odorless and colorless. Sometimes it's a white powder or a pill. And uh, whether it's the roofie or something called GHB, it's really prominent today. It's, it's happening to more and more people that they're being drugged. So they don't even know what's happening to them. Exactly. I said, I didn't know it. Uh, it took me a while to realize what was happening to me. And it's just a hard situation afterwards, what you want to go through and um, the pain, you, the mistrust that you had in people. Um, and like I said, you're more aware of things next time around and coming out of therapy. And I'm still going to therapy, talking to counselors, uh, because it's something, Kathy, that no matter what people say, it never goes away. Time does not heal all wounds. Um, there's always going to be something on the TV, a radio show, um, something we read in the paper, or just something that clicks in our mind to let us know what happened. And the only thing we can do is just try and subdue those thoughts and go on to the steps that got us on the right road to recovery in the first place. And we have to find our self-respect and our dignity by going through counseling and coming out about it. We have to seek counseling, and it takes everybody, their own individual, um, their own amount of time is when they when they want to feel comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're reminded of this um, this horrible event that happened, what what are what is the first thing that you'll do to kind of like get back to balance for yourself? One of the first things I do is uh, I have four beautiful grandchildren, uh, four beautiful grandsons and my little Katie Marie. Um, and I just think about them and all the fun times we have, and it just gets my mind off of everything. How about you, Kathy? Um, I start writing a lot of poetry. Mm. I do. I write a lot of poems, or um, there are times where you just, you lash out, even like while on the road and you're just driving. Um, I tend to put my music a little louder just so I can get out of the daydream mm-hmm. and and hit back to reality and be like, okay, I'm 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 out of that situation. I'm I'm here in the car and I'm listening to music and I'm just I'm free. So that's that's what I do. That's really interesting. So you kind of if you both get uh fall back into that old memory, then you just create a new one. You shift out of that memory for yourself, which you have the power to do. Exactly. Yeah. That's a wonderful skill to have, and you can apply it to anything, really, in life. Kathy, let's not forget that, you know, rape is the longest-running felony in the history of mankind, and yet we're still in the infancy stages of how to prevent it, and I don't even know if that's possible. 
but we have to make the general public more aware of these assaults and what, what can be done to overcome them. For the most part, the general public does not realize the after effects that these assaults have on victims, and more has to be done by doing public service announcements regarding sexual awareness. And I know you you have done that, haven't you, Charlie? You've made a PSA about that. Yes, I did, and if you like, I could send you that link if you want to uh, post it for your listeners to see. It takes about a minute. Of my support group and family and friends, we bought a bulletin, bulletin board up in the Boston area for the month of April, National Awareness Month, and then I uh, put it. I went viral with it, and it's on uh, YouTube. And I can send you that link if you'd like for uh, other listeners to see it. And what's the, why don't we tell the listeners what that link is, Charlie? Uh, you caught me off guard. Yeah, I'll have to go pick. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I should have had that written down as well. I don't know how that slipped by me, but okay. Well, we'll I'll post it on the website, and then people will be able to go to it. Now, what um, other preventative things, Kathy, do you suggest? Um, I definitely suggest, well, like, what I do is write poems, um, journal, um, just constantly remind yourself, you know, that, that you're out of it, you know, you finally, you survived it, you survived your, you're going about your day and, and it's, it's behind you. Um, definitely talk. I know that that was my biggest problem in the first few months. I, I'm not the type to seek help. I'm more of the give help. Yeah. And for me personally, like, I just kept everything bottled up. I would always find reasons not to talk about my problems, you know. Like, I already talked about it. People are going to get tired of it. They want me to move on, so on and so forth. But the best thing to do is to talk about it. You know, you're leaving so much anger that one day it's just, if you have it bottled up so much, you're going to end up wanting to hit a wall and you're going to end up hurting yourself even more. So, you know, just talk about it. Know that there are people out that are that are willing to help you. Um, and you never know, like, you might talk to somebody who actually has also been a victim and they might be able to be like, oh, my gosh, I just found somebody that I can I can relate to even more. And it might be your best friend or it might be your mom or it might be a neighbor. Um and you'll be able to to help each other throughout the way, mm-hmm. and definitely seek help. I mean, Rain was my number one support. It's reason why everything started for me. You know, um, they're the ones who got me to to go to the hospital, and and then eventually have the courage to talk to my parents and and go to the to law enforcement. And from there, I mean, now I'm here talking to you on the radio. <laughs> so it, it it just it helps. It helps out a lot to to speak out. And you're also, what other kind of speaking do you do? Do you go around to high schools, to universities? I do. Um, through RAIN and through Interact, which is um, here in Raleigh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, they're a private organization. And between both of them, I'm going to universities and writing guest columns in newspapers. I'm doing TV interviews, um, I go to speak out at local high schools, even elementary schools. I actually have to go to one in a, in a few weeks and uh, talk to little kids about not talking to strangers and, you know, be aware of your surroundings, but, you know, in kids' terms. Because it can happen at any age, and you have to know how to how to talk to each age group and, and just put the message out there. Well, let me just uh, uh, interject that in 2006, Rain helped pass a new law that enhances penalties for child sexual abuse and tightens the registration requirements for sex offenders. And once uh, this is fully implemented, this law will close any loopholes that have led to missing sex offenders and assess serious penalties against those who fail to comply with the registration requirements, including regularly confirming that their information is up to date. Now, I know uh, just as an example that um, my sister uh, has uh, small children and she moved into a new location and that's the first thing that she goes about checking in an area, in the neighborhood, uh, you know, how many sexual offenders, where are they, so on and so forth. And in her particular situation, I mean, thank God nothing nothing happened, but she was able to find out on her own 
that there was a sexual offender living two doors down. Now, somehow that information missed, you know, was was one of uh, the loopholes and uh, was missing through one of the loopholes, I should say. And uh, and even with that information, um, next door there was um, a chief of police living next door to the offender. So that's how easy this can happen. And, I mean, I don't want to think of, you know, what could have happened, and thank God it didn't happen, but that's why people really have to take it upon themselves to be as responsible as they can to investigate these things on their own and protect themselves. Right. And, Charlie, what other things, because I know you're you're working hard to change um, laws, you know, working on the uh, legislative side, so what do you feel has to be done to protect uh, victims. I think, like I said, Kathy, um, the public has to be made more aware of everything that's going on. Right now, I'm in the process of talking to one of the senators in my state regarding a DNA bill. Um, hopefully, we can get it passed in the next couple of years. It's going to take a long time. But um, I got an email from them this morning to have a meeting in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, it goes back to the old saying that female victims, they're being stereotyped is so true. If they go to the police after the attack, they'd be told, well, you were asking for it. You were dressed too provocatively and that there was nothing the police could do. Well, talking with survivors, I found that this and the possibility of kill, being killed afterwards is the two most reasons why I did not come forward earlier than they did. I reported my assault to the police, and they bluntly told me nothing could be done. Um, seeing, seeing that and knowing that, I can empathize and relate with those female victims who've gone through that and understand why they don't come forward or are afraid to come forward. Uh, they see it so many times on TV shows or news broadcasts or whatever. And they can't be a fearful. They have to strive and go forward. And if the police won't do anything, seek out counseling. And that's the first step in the healing process. Well, it is very difficult, especially in the case of men. I mean, it, it has been. I think the, the the figures, of course, are much higher in women, but there are, uh, you know, those numbers are growing on the men's side as well. And so there is so many other kind of emotions associated uh, when it comes to men, and uh, that must have been very difficult for you to, you know, have the courage to go forward and then kind of be blown out of the water by the police at the time, saying there's nothing we can do about it. So, what was your next step at that point? Uh, from there, I was doing, I was in counseling, and through the help of counseling, I said I uh, got in contact with Rain. And between my support group and my local area plus Rain, uh, they've been helpful, very helpful towards me in getting out speaking engagements to different places and trying to just make a difference in one person's life. If that's I can, if I can do that, I consider it an accomplishment. But the main thing I try to stress upon them is step forward and feel comfortable about doing it. Or if you know someone who has been attacked and they haven't come forward, let them know that to get the help to see professional counseling. And Kathy, you have anything to add to that? Um, I basically agree with Charlie. I'm definitely, you know, in my case, like, you know, the way that I was able to, to finally stop having my sleepless nights and, and stop having the nightmares was for me to actually speak out. And I would say to all the victims out that are listening or, or people that, that know of victims and just anybody in general, um, if you know anything, just, just speak out. There are people that are willing to help you. And unfortunately, you know, with, with the system, it's, it's so tricky and you have to have every single type of proof just to, just to pin the guy or the girl. And if you're not willing to, to speak out to law enforcement, Seek out to rain. They are they are definitely there. Go seek help. Go seek counseling and talk to a friend. You don't know how much help that that will bring you. And so, did the the rain organization kind of support you through going to the police and filing the report and doing all those things? They helped me tremendously. I mean, when I went and I didn't know if I think subconsciously I knew that it was rape, but I didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. which is why I started Googling, especially because it was somebody I knew. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it really was or not. So I started Googling, and the very first thing that popped up was rain. And their their hotline number came on, so I, I was at work and I actually called through the work phone. And they um, 
the first lady that answered, I just told her, look, I don't know if this is rape. I just want to tell you everything that happened, and you tell me if it was or if it wasn't and what I should do now. Mm-hmm. And I told her everything, and, I mean, she was very supportive, and she just, she never asked for, like, my name or my age or anything like that. You know, everything is kept anonymously. And she just said, you know, it, it was rape, and you need to, one, not talk to the person, and two, go to the hospital and get a rape kit done since it was, since it, it just happened, and to talk to to advocate, and if I wanted to talk to police to press charges and to go and do that. But, I mean, they were with me every step of the way. Even afterwards, when I when I finally pressed charges, the first person I called was Rain again. And I told them what had happened and what I was doing and, and what I should do now or what should what should I expect. And they they helped me out tremendously. I mean, they, they would send me emails with information on what to expect throughout the arrest and the trial and everything, if if everything were to keep going. Um, and to this day, I mean, I still keep in touch with everybody and and let them know what's going on, what new events I'm doing, and how I feel. And You know, it's not just a one-day thing. It's going to happen for, for most people for the rest of their life, and they're just going to want to talk to somebody, and they're there. That's, that's really encouraging um, to know that such an organization is out there doing that kind of work. That's so important because it really makes the whole situation, um, I don't want to say easier, but just knowing that you have the guidance that, you know, what's so fearful for most people is they don't know what the process is. And, you know, sometimes we create things to be worse in our mind than they actually are. So to have someone guiding you through each of uh, the steps that one has to take, that's that's really wonderful that they do that and that they um, give that kind of support to people out there. And Charlie, how did you find Rain? Did you Google them as well, or did someone recommend them to you? No, I had Googled them, and I knew about them, and I got in touch with the person down there. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say her name. But uh, she's been very helpful. Her first name is Megan, and she's been terrific. And actually, I was talking with Kathy earlier before we got on the air, and uh, she knew the same person, and they've just been terrific. And I'd just like to say, actually, from them, um, they sent me different sites and talking to different uh, TVs and news uh, stations, giving uh, uh, interviews. Uh, they've also introduced me to Nina and Joel from the Philadelphia Weekly News. And as a matter of fact, these two, uh, this husband and wife, have put together a number of essays, about a half a dozen, which are going to be um, published in their newspaper tomorrow. And basically what they are is stories of other survivors um, who have come forward and told about their experiences and how they've overcome them. And I think it would be terrific for people to get onto that site tomorrow and read these articles. I think it would be very um, forthcoming and openness uh, for what's, what happens out in the world. Mm-hmm. That's really good to know, uh, Charlie. But, yeah, send me all that stuff, and I'll put it up on the website so people can have uh, access to it. Now, I, ca- I heard from you know both of you that speaking about your experience is a, a large part of the healing process. Um, what else would you say adds to the healing process for this? Do you want to go, Kathy? Um, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say that, I mean, for me, definitely, personally, um, one was speaking out. Number two was, was just writing out your anger. Um, it, it alleviated me so much. Um, I would I would actually write personal letters to him, mm-hmm. but I would never send them. It was just like, if I were to send them, what would I say? And I've... I wrote out every single feeling that I've had towards him and towards the situation, but then I would burn them in my backyard so it was all safe. And, um, I, like, I, I would just do that on a normal basis. I would uh, I would draw out my angers. I would just journal a lot. I tended to listen to music a lot more. Um, I also started just getting back into my old hobbies, just going and doing sports again and, playing soccer and, and dancing a lot more. And um, the one thing I did notice was I blocked myself out from society for a good while. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to hang out with my friends anymore. I didn't want to have to get out of my house. 
just because I had the fear that, that somebody that knew him mm-hmm. or even him would be near my house or anywhere that I was. So I was always on the lookout. Um, and so I just decided to stop feeling that way, and I would just keep myself locked in my house and, and just play video games with my little brother. And I, I think I'm, like, the top video game player now <laughs> so, <laughs> because of it. But, I mean, after after a while, I just learned that I, I had to stop doing that. I had to get out of my shell and mm-hmm. and just take the baby steps again and just be able to, to live about my normal day. Mm-hmm. And I went back to work, but not at the same job, but now I work somewhere else. But um, I went back to school because I even stopped going to school for a while. Um, and I just slowly started getting into the habit again of, of just going about my everyday and now I mean I'm now I'm doing great and it, it just all helped because of journaling and talking and just trying to to go back into my my normal routine. So was it? Did you have to go from a place of anger to acceptance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went from denial to to sadness to anger for a good maybe year and a half of anger. Even every now and then I still have some anger, but now it's more of I'm just angry that I hadn't had done things sooner. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, it was just a week, but it was still, it, it was a week. In that whole week, I could have probably done so much more. Mm-hmm. But um, now it's more of accepting it, and I'm just like, all right, well, you know what, it happened for a reason, and the reason is now that I'm able to, to talk to people and help them out with their situations and be able to give them the proper the proper guidance of where to seek help. Mm. And it so, sounds it sounds like you you need a little forgiveness for yourself too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I did blame myself for a a good while, especially since after he got arrested, um everyone at work knew mm-hmm. what happened and they knew that that I was the one who who pressed charges against him, so they all started calling me. And they were telling me, you know, well, he was under the influence and you need to drop the charges and he didn't realize what he was doing or you need to think of his family because he had a 13-year-old kid at the time. And um, it it basically left me in a huge distraught because I was just like, well, I'm friends with all of you and none of you guys are, are taking my side in a sense. You guys are all leaning towards him and feeling more sympathetic towards him, but no one's feeling sorry for me. No one's trying to see how I'm doing, if I'm able to sleep better, if I'm able to do better. And I had to change my number more than two times. Um, I had to delete my Facebook even because they were writing stuff on my on my page. And I have family who had no clue what was going on. Oh. Um, I had to delete my number numerous amount of times and just constantly change it. One of the people were able to hack into my account and find out my new number, and that's how they were able to get in touch with me again and again and again. And it, it just, it, it was horrible. So I blame myself even more because I was just like, well, you know, I should have known better just because I knew the person. And especially because I was studying about it since I'm in the criminal justice major. Um, I should have, like, seen all the signs right up front, but I didn't. And, you know, I did... I did the the things that everybody always asks, you know, did you say no? Did you just provocatively no? I was in regular clothes. Um, I kept saying no the whole time. I kept saying stop the whole time. So, you know, it it affected me even more because I kept doing what I thought was right, but everybody kept saying it was wrong. And finally, it just hit me, and I was just like, you know what, I need to stop blaming me and start blaming him because he's the one who who had the choice to stop and he didn't. So well you are an incredibly strong, powerful, intelligent, lovely young woman and rape is not your fault. It rape is not anyone's fault, you know? It's it's the fault yeah. of the attacker. So what you just shared is so powerful and I can I can really see how you travel around, you know, the country and talk to different groups and especially, you know, young women, what a difference in their life you will make by sharing what you're sharing, Kathy. So thank you so much for going into the details of that. I know it's not easy to kind of bring this up again. No, well, well thank you for giving me the chance to, to speak about it and hopefully 
you know, to all the listeners or be able to kind of relate to what Charlie and I are, are talking about and, and hopefully they'll be able to be like, okay, well, if they were able to do it, now I can do it. And, you know, it's never too late to talk about what you're going through and, and to get help. Well, I would also like to post one of your poems on the website, so be sure to send that to me. So, you know, uh, if you're interested, of course, uh, we'd yeah, love to put that put that up there and, and have people read some of your work so that they can have a better understanding of how to process these emotions for themselves. And how about you, Charlie? During those, you know, beginning steps, you know, what what were the steps for you in the beginning? Well, like I said, it took me two or three weeks to come out of my shell. But what I'd like to say, first of all, uh, something Kathy mentioned, there is no excuse for rape. Talking with other victims, mostly female victims, this was also part of their problems also. The friends and family would say the same things to them that Kathy's friends have said to her. Well, there is no excuse for rape or for sexual assault for that matter. It's intolerable. It cannot happen. We have to become more aware of these support groups. We have to become more aware of the signs and the people we're seeing, our whereabouts, what type of people they are, how are they perceived by their family, how do they live, all these little signs we can see in people and what they're made of. And I guess in any Catholic, I'd just like to say, you know, there's a line in the Declaration of Independence that goes like this. When a long line of abuses and usurpations exist and events are designed to reduce them to absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off some government and to provide new guards for their future security. You know, our forefathers believed us, and they fought for theirs and our inalienable rights. Without their courage and fortitude, we wouldn't be here today. Like our forefathers, and <coughs> excuse me, since we have the means and the ability to make changes, then we have the responsibility to take action. If we don't fight back, the predators win again, and the victims are just being victimized all over again. We have to stop this from happening. Beautifully said, Charlie. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting. I also want to point out, because this is something that I think, uh, um, you know, I, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and they love to go out and dance, and, you know, as, as many young people do today, and go to these clubs or these bars. And, and this is where a lot of problems come up, you know, um, with being drugged, uh, having drugs being placed in their their drinks. And it's something as simple as, you know, not leaving your drink unattended and not accepting open containers from no, uh, from from people. I had a friend of mine whose daughter was uh, taking a trip, you know, around the world. It was a fun, joyful uh, time in her life. And uh, she someone handed her a cookie and it was filled with a drug that knocked her out unconscious. So we, we cannot be too careful, and we really have to, um, you know, put up barriers and uh, for ourselves, you know, and, and, and protect ourselves in, in situations going day to day. That doesn't mean you, sh- you shouldn't leave your house or be petrified that this is going to happen on a daily basis, but it just means that, you know, these things do happen, and we should do what we can uh, to protect ourselves um, as much as we can. So uh, going back to you, Kathy, is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't covered? Anything you want to say to the listeners? Um, just, I just keep stressing out the fact that, you know, you talk. Just go out and, and talk to somebody. Just pour your heart out. It, it doesn't hurt at all. You know, you may... You might be nervous in the beginning, and that's totally normal, but in the end, you're, you're just going to feel so much more relieved. And, you know, if you talk to the right people, they're going to guide you, and they're going to help you out every step of the way. Um, again, speak with Rain. If you don't want to talk on the phone, um, you can always talk online, or you can chat online. If you go to the Rain website, um, it, there's a link right on the top, and it says, you know, to chat online, and they're there 24-7. So you always have somebody that you can go to. Whether you don't want to talk to somebody that you know, you can always talk to somebody there, and they're always willing to help. Um, and if you don't want to, if if you can't get a computer, you don't have a phone, or for whatever reason, I mean, there's always local organizations wherever you live. I know here in North Carolina where I'm at, um, 
the place that I go to is Interact, and it's here in Raleigh. And um, they're also an amazing group of people. So you always have a place. And even in the Ring website, it'll tell you where you can go. There's all the places in the world. So uh, you're never alone. Don't feel like you're alone. And um, just that there's always help and just stay safe and remember to to keep your ground and to be guarded and don't trust everybody so easily. Um, definitely still be the nice person that you are, the nice, beautiful person that you are, but just just be guarded, be protected. And I also have, um, I'll send you the link, Kathy. Um, I have a Facebook page, and it's called Safe Stop to Abuse Everywhere. And, I mean, it's, it's any type of abuse, um, but I definitely stress out, you know, sexual assault and rape. And um, I'm always posting stuff up there, and people are always talking there and, and talking about their problems. So, you know, you also have a, a, a place right there. And I know a lot of people are on Facebook, so they'll be able to chat there, and, and you'll, you'll be good. That's excellent, Kathy. And let me just mention for the folks uh, tuning in, you can go to the website for RAIN, which is org, and their hotline number is 1-800-656-HOPE. Charlie, you have uh, any anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered on today's show? Just real quick, it took me about five years. Actually, myself happened about five years ago, and it took me almost four years to talk to it about my family and friends. And the thing is, listening to the survivors, I just try to tell them it took me that long, but it doesn't have to take you that long. And I will send you that link for that viral, only for the simple reason is survivors can tell the story to their counselors and others, yet they can't fully comprehend what we've gone through. And one of the main things that survivors do, they find a way to fight back. They find a way to live their lives and I think with people share their ideas, other survivors sharing their ideas with others, what they've done in their areas, hopefully we can help us overcome this major problem and let the public know of what's going on, and especially victims who haven't spoken out already now. Hopefully they can come forward and say, hey, yes, this happened to me. I like assistance. This is what my life is going through. It's been hell. I want to change my life. And hopefully Catherine and I can make a difference today by doing this. Yes, you both are making a difference. And I just want to recap, you know, for the folks, anyone out there tuning in, the steps that one should take should uh, something like this happen in their life. The first thing they should do is report it, yes? Yes. Okay, so should they go to the hospital? Charlie, do you want to just go through the couple of steps to guide people? Uh, It's hard for me to go to the hospital for rape kit. Um, But I think the female victims, yes, uh, they should definitely go to the hospital to have the rape kit done. And after that, I know how traumatized they're going to be. And they're fearful of going to the police, are fearful of talking to their family and um, friends. Uh, look what Kathy has gone through. Um, even afterwards, even after she pressed the charge, she, she's still harassing. She, it's not like that. People cannot be like that to other victims. They're just victimizing them all over again, like I said. And it's not right. And the steps to take is... Get yourself at some time when you feel comfortable with it. Get your mind in its proper state. Seek the counseling. Work with your counselor. And eventually it all come together and you'll be working way out of it. And these are all just positive steps in getting back to normal life, if there is such a thing after, after an attack. Well, I, I want to thank both of you. I think you're really extraordinary, Kathy and Charles, for your bravery and for the courageous spirits uh, that you have to share your experiences and all of the knowledge that you've gained to help the rest of us. So thank you for the advocacy work you do and to the RAIN organization for the outstanding programs and support that they offer us as well. You can contact the good people at RAIN, again, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network by going to RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-N dot org, or calling their hotline number, which is 1-800-656-HOPE. If you are a victim of rape or any other form of violence, this is not a time to be alone. There are people and organizations to help you take your power back. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. It's been so great to have you along on this journey. I'll be back next week, and I hope you t- you will tune in. Sorry about that. Peace, everybody, and lots of love.